You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. I know you called me to do it, so I'm forcing myself to the throne. No! He allowed God to raise him up. He allowed God to lift him up. He didn't lift himself up and said, look at me, Lord. I'm the king. You made me that way. He let God raise him up to the time where he was supposed to be. I love that about David. I really do. 20 years David waited for the throne. He could have taken the throne by force at any time, but he did not. David made some serious mistakes, but he had patience and humility as he followed God's plan for his life. He likely had moments where he wondered when or if God would fulfill his promises. But as Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, David didn't try to take the reins. He waited on God and trusted he'd come through. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 18 as he begins his message after this. We're studying the history of the nation Israel before the captivity. A lot of things happen in history that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to listen to, that we don't want to hear. And one of those are wars and and killings and things like that. And they get kind of gruesome sometimes and we don't really want to hear them. But it's an important part of the growth of the nation Israel. For example, you're studying U.S. history You should know about the Battle of Iwo Jima. You should know about the Battle of D-Day in Normandy or the Battle of the Bulge. You should know about things like Gettysburg where 50,000 people died. You should know about Antietam. You should remember Bunker Hill in the Revolutionary War. You should remember Hamburger Hill from Vietnam, the Tet Offensive, and so on. All these things happened, and they're historical events that shaped us and made our nation who we are. So that's what's happening in Israel, and that's why we go through these things, so we can see where Israel was and where they came and how God brought them. So we're studying to see how God helped his people, how God helped his people and how he provided for them and how he guided them to do these things at this particular time. I think it's important that we study it, you know. Now, we studied everything in length when we studied 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. So we're not studying it as in-depth as we did at that time. You can go back and get those um, those CDs if you'd like and revisit those. So we are kind of moving through a little faster. So as we studied chapter 17, we saw David's heart towards God. As we studied... He struggled to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and he wanted to please God. On his heart was pleasing the Lord, and he wanted to build him a house. It wasn't fair that he lived in this palatial palace, and God lived in a tent. But God told David no. David would not be able to build him a house. Instead, God was going to build him a house. He was going to build David a house. 
God told David that he was going to establish Israel and make it a great nation. He would appoint a place for them to live in peace and prosperity, and he would have a place for them to worship. God told David that it would be his son who would build the house that we know as the temple of the Lord. He also told David that it was through his seed, the one who would come and sit on his throne forever. And David knew in his heart that the Lord was speaking to him about the Messiah, the promised one. This was overwhelming to David. And he went in and he sat before the Lord. And I love this about David. He went in and he sat before the Lord and he says, who am I that you would bless me like this? Who am I that you would do such things for me? David humbled himself. And sitting before the Lord, he called himself his servant, God's servant, eight some odd times. He recognized God's sovereignty. He recognized God's goodness and greatness. He he recognized God's ability to do the impossible. David felt quite puny in front of God. He wanted to do God's will. He wanted to follow God. He wanted to go after God. And I love this about David. So many of us want God to follow us. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and I'll follow you. He said, you follow me. David wanted to follow God. He said, Lord, there's none like you. And he cried, nor is there any God besides you. David sought after God's heart with all his heart. He longed for God. He longed to be near him. He longed to be in his presence. Now, verses in chapter 18 begin with this evening, the first two words, after this. After what? Well, after all that has transpired, the covenant that God made with David, David's prayer. And the next thing we see is the prosperity that David has while he subdues Israel's enemies and the prosperity of the people that spreads throughout Israel. It's a great time for the nation Israel under the leadership of King David. When I was reading this, a scripture came to mind. We know the scripture. We've quoted it many times. You can quote it by heart. I know you can. I'd like to read it for you. Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added. What a great verse. One commentator put it this way. David did these great exploits after the sweet communion he had with God by the word of God and prayer. And as this verse came to mind, I thought about this. David sought hard after God's heart. He wanted to please him by building him a house, but the Lord said no. But that didn't stop David from seeking God and his righteousness. In fact, the time that David spent in communion with the Lord gave him great courage and gave him great zeal about the things of God. We spoke on Sunday about Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and Jesus telling her sister Martha, Mary has chosen a better part. When we take time to sit at the Lord's feet, when we seek him with our whole heart, when we allow his word to wash over us and fill us, when we allow his spirit to be upon us and give us boldness to accomplish that which is in his schedule, something happens in our lives. That's what seeking first the kingdom of God is. That's what seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. David had been sitting at the feet waiting patiently for him. Now remember David. Remember, David waited patiently for the Lord for over over 20 years. He was anointed king at an extremely young age. He was anointed king at an extremely young age, and it took almost 20-some-odd years before he ascended to the throne. 
And during that time, all the problems with Saul. How many times did Saul try to kill him? I can think of two in the Samuels where Saul threw a spear at him. How many chances did David get to kill Saul? At least two. And he didn't do it. David knew he was God's choice. David knew he was God's choice, but he didn't force himself to the throne. He didn't say, I'm going to do it because I know you called me to do it, so I'm forcing myself to the throne. No. He allowed God to raise him up. He allowed God to lift him up. He didn't lift himself up and said, look at me, Lord. I'm the king. You made me that way. He let God raise him up to the time where he was supposed to be. I love that about David. I really do. 20 years David waited for the throne. He could have taken the throne by force at any time, but he did not because he respected God. He respected God's anointed. We need to learn from that. God is the one who raises people up. God is the one who lifts people up and puts them in places. Not man. David was king. It was official. All of Israel anointed him as king. David was, was in continual contact with the Lord, sitting quietly before him, waiting to hear from him. And this is what I see David doing. And here in these next few chapters, we see the results of seeking first the kingdom of God. That's where I'm going with this. In these next few chapters, we see the results of seeking first the kingdom of God. And really, what's interesting to me here is these chapters parallel 2 Samuel. Yeah, these parallel 2 Samuel. And at no time does the writer, who we believe is Ezra, but we're not 100% sure, does he include the adulterous affair with Bathsheba leading to pregnancy. He doesn't include David's scheme to have her husband killed. Come home from battle and sleep with his wife to cover up her condition. He doesn't include Uriah's death, ordered by David. He doesn't include the death of the, you know, uh, the, the newborn baby. He doesn't include the rebellion of David's sons and all that nonsense. Why? I studied hard for this, and I looked hard for this, and I found something I liked from one commentator. He said this. First and second chronicles were written during or shortly after the exile of the Jews in Babylon. Israel would once again have its own nation and leadership. The writer of chronicles wanted the new generation returning to the land to remember to keep the covenant of God that God made with David and remember that his dynasty had been chosen to rule. This loyalty to David's dynasty had fractured the kingdom, producing a deviant religion and ultimately the destruction of Israel. You can find that in Amos 7. The chronicler, or the writer, wanted to revive loyalty to David's line. So David and Solomon are cast as ideal monarchs. He didn't want to deceive. He wanted to inspire. Makes sense. Look back at our own history. We don't know all the inner workings of all the people that came through the history that we read about in our history books. I'm sure some of them lived some pretty suspectful lives. I'm sure some of them did some pretty strange things that we might think of. But yet we read of the great things they did when they made a nation and they had a nation come on. And we read of that. We read of those things. So begin in chapter 18. We're going to read 1 through 13. It says, After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. And David, David defeated Hadadezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. 
David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. David hamstrung all the chariot horses except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. Then the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah. David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put the garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. You see that sentence right there? The Lord preserved David everywhere he went. That's an important topic there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. David was preserved because of his relationship with God, because of what God had promised him. David took two shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadazer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Tifba and from Shun, cities of Hadadazer, David brought a large amount of bronze by which Solomon made the bronze sea, the pillars, and the articles of bronze. So Joaquin and Boaz were made out of this bronze that they took them. Remember the pillars? We talked about the pillars? Now when Tal, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadazer, king of Zobah, he sent Hadaram, the son, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadazer and defeated him. For Hadadazer had been at war with Tal. And Hadadoram brought with him all kinds of articles of gold, silver, and bronze. So more things are being collected. What is David doing here? He's getting all the material together to build the temple. Although God said, no, you can't build it, he's still using David as a viable instrument to collect all the material so that the temple can be built. David is still very much involved. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had brought from all these nations, from Edom, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, and from Amalek. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zeruah, killed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. There it is again. The Lord preserved David everywhere he went. Keep a, keep a finger there. We'll be back to that in a minute. So Israel had been troubled by the Philistines for centuries, for eons. It's crazy. They even dominated Israel at one time. But under the reign of King David, both they were attacked and he subdued them by the Lord's hands. David raised war against Moab. Why is this strange that David would raise war against Moab? If your grandmother was a Moabite, would you go and kill a bunch of Moabs? Ruth was a Moabite? It's kind of strange that David would go against the Moabs, Moabites. Interesting, interesting. His great-grandmother, actually, and he entrusted his mother and father there with care of Moabites. In 1 Samuel 22, he let them take care of them. We don't know, but some of the scholars that I studied think that the Moabites might have killed or mistreated David's parents. We don't know that for a fact. It's not biblical. We don't know that. David hamstrung the horses. It wasn't animal cruelty to extent. It was a military necessity. He couldn't care for that many horses when they were on the military campaign. Plus, according to Deuteronomy 17, he wasn't allowed to collect horses. He wasn't allowed to keep a lot of horses on there. It was against God's law. So he did obey this principle. 
Now, you can get all upset about them killing or hamstringing the horses and not upset about all the thousands upon thousands of men that died. So your choice. Again, he's gathering information. He's gathering money. He's gathering bronze. He's gathering silver. All this stuff for the temple. It testifies that David was being used by God. David was, God said, no, you can't build the temple, but God is using them. He's using him mightily. The nation saw God's hand upon David, and they're bringing him gifts. They're bringing him stuff. They're like, hey, we better get on the good side of this guy, or he, he might come and take us out. So they knew what a strong and godly leader looked like, and they saw one in Israel, and the whole community of nations were coming together, and God was doing a mighty work in the entire land. Do you see God's hand upon it? Using one man, David, a man after his own heart, one man. Not every nation that surrounded Israel, pagan as they were, were against Israel. Some of them were kind of friendly. They weren't hostile. David didn't treat them that way. Sometimes we treat unbelievers as hostile. We treat people who don't know the Lord as hostile because they're not one of us. Well, they're just sinners like you and I. The only difference is we've been forgiven and we know the Lord. They've been forgiven, but they don't know it. They haven't accepted the Lord, but yet we treat them with hostility. David dedicated everything to the Lord when he got money, when he got silver, when he got bronze. Even the troops and things he dedicated to the Lord. He put the servants of, the, of, these, of these nations to work for the Lord. He knew that praise and glory belonged to God, not himself. David knew, David knew how to handle success, even failure. God used David to lead Israel to over victory of all their enemies in every single direction. During David's time, Israel possessed more of the land than was taken at any other time, the land that God had promised Abraham. David was able to accomplish this because God was with him. God was there. The Lord preserved David wherever he went. And this is like a summary of the entire chapter. Everywhere David went, God was with him and he prevailed. Finish out the chapter. So David reigned over all Israel and he administered judgment and justice to all people. It was a wonderful time in Israel. A time of prosperity, a time of happiness, a time of joy. No enemies were there. They didn't have to worry about those kind of things. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And we here we meet the commander of his army, Joab the son of Zeruiah, who was over the army, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahulud, was recorder, Zaduk, the son of Adatub, and Abimelech, the son of Abathar, were the priests. Shavsa was described. Benaniah, the son of Jedidiah, was over the, the Cherethites and the Pelophites, and David's sons were chief ministers at the king's table. So David sets up his administration. You're going to see that happen when the, when the, when the uh, election is finally over, the person in charge sets up their administration, surrounds themselves with the people who they want in various offices. This is what's happening in verses 14 through 17. This beautiful thing, all because 
God is ruling. David is allowing God to rule. David finally is on the throne. He's happy to be there. He knows God has placed him with her. He knows God is with him. He has the promises of God. And he is leading mightily, leading this nation mightily. And he is always regarded as possibly the greatest king ever in Israel. King David is always regarded as the greatest king. It's interesting This is what God wanted Saul's life to be, the first king. This is what God wanted Saul's life to be. Saul resisted the Lord and rejected his spirit. David did not. David did not reject God's spirit. David allowed God to subdue him, to completely have control over him, completely take care of him. And then when that happened, David knew that God would use him all the way along. See, that's what happens. When you allow God to subdue you, when you surrender all to God, how many times have we sung in here? How many times has Mark Lutton said, I surrender all? Are we just singing songs or are you really surrendering everything in your entire life? Are you really just putting everything before God in your entire life, surrendering everything you have, everything you are? That's, That's important. We say, I surrender, do you? Or do you just surrender a little bit? David was totally surrendered to God. Totally surrendered to God. Totally. As we get to 19 in verses 1 and 2, David shows kindness. It happened after this. There we are again. After this, it happened after this, that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanum, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to Hanum in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. And the princes of the people of Ammon, well, I I went too far. David's going to show kindness because that's what kind of ruler he is. David is the kind that God is showing grace to him, so he's going to show grace to others. It's a hint for us. God has showed us great grace. God continues to show us great grace, and therefore we need to deal that grace out to other people. Instead, we're too busy judging and and, and quarreling. We need to give grace. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace. Here, David has given out God's grace. So he sends messengers, and they're they're suspect. The princes of the people of Ammon said to Adam, Do you think that David really honors your father because he sent comforts to you? Did this servant come to you to search and overthrow and spy out the land? You know, you're always surrounded by those who always want to think the worst of everybody. You're always, you're always surrounded by people going, are they, you know, come on. I mean, this, re- this reminds me, it's not near like it, but this reminds me of Satan in the garden. Has God really said that you don't have to eat of that tree? Has God really said you're going to die? So here they are questioning David's motive. Therefore, look what Hanum does. He took David's servants shaved them, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. How horrifying. In this day and age, talk, put yourself back into that century. How humiliating, how horrifying. How much can they do? Then some went and told David about the men and sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. I guess so. Lose your beard back in that time. Your beard was your sense of manhood. You are a sure.
Thank you for joining us here today on Assure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. This book follows the kingship of David from the time he was anointed king by the people until his death. Partway through, we watched David become troubled because he had a grand house, but the ark of the Lord remained in a tent. He wanted to build the temple for the Lord, but because he was a man of war, God chose Solomon to build it instead. Still, we see that David's heart was for God every step of the way. When Solomon was going to build the temple, David gave him an offering of gold, silver, and bronze for it. Is there a mission field you'd like to have joined? Don't let the limitations of this life keep you from offering your best. If you can't go yourself, you can still give to the people who God sends. We're so glad we get to spend this time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.30. And if you're an early riser, come seek the Lord's face together with us in prayer before the services at 7.30. You can find everything you need to know on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Once again, that's assurehoperadio.com. And don't worry, if you can't make it in person, on the website you'll find links to our live stream. Don't forget to come back next time as we study the word together on Assure Hope.